This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 220. So today is January 30th, 2022. And as usual, I'm covering the latest weekly news and rumors roundup from the big four rumor sites of Canon Rumors, Nikon Rumors, Fuji Rumors, and Sony Alpha Rumors. So let's head on over to Canon Rumors and see what they have for us this week. Let's do this. First up, patent. Likely Canon CN-E 16-55mm T2.9 compact zoom. Canon's next round of announcements will likely be for more cinema EOS gear, and I expect a lot of RF mount cinema lenses in the very near future. We do know that there are going to be RF mount versions of the Samir line, as well as new compact cinema zoom lenses, and this could potentially be one of them. The Canon 16-55 T2.9 compact zoom specs, focal length 16.50 millimeters, 27.55, with a maximum of 53.81, F number 2.90 throughout. Half angle of view, 42.26 degrees, 25.94 degrees, and 13.98 degrees. Image height is 14 millimeters throughout. Lens total length at its shortest focal length, 103.55 millimeters, then 109.78, and at the longest end, 129.89 millimeters. Back focus of 14.18 millimeters at its shortest focal length, 12.29 millimeters in the middle, and 10.01 millimeters at its longest focal length. Now, the image for this post is in the Canon CN-E 70-200 millimeter T4.4 compact servo sin zoom. So it's not the actual lens that we're talking about as the cover image for this article, which you can find in the show notes. So I just wanted to let you know that so you didn't hit me up and say, hey, uh, the focal length on the lens and the image is different than what you reported. That was because that's all they had to use for an image at this time. Next up, Canon has released its financial results for the fiscal year 2021. Canon has released its fiscal results, and even with all the challenges, Canon has done pretty well and exceeded expectations in a few of its industries. Even with the pandemic, Canon's imaging business continues to turn a profit. Canon and lens, our camera and lens production have obviously been affected for the last couple of years. Canon saw a reduction of 20,000 units year over year, but still managed to move 2.74 million cameras and wouldn't have seen a decline had it not been for the pandemic. The Canon EOS R5 and R6 continue to be a driving force for Canon, and the Canon EOS R5C will likely help to get new customers and to continue sales growth. Full Canon F, uh, fiscal year 2021 material, the presentation material with the results and the supplementary data. Now, I'm not going to read this entire article because it's fairly lengthy and it'll probably bore a lot of you. So I just wanted to let you know that overall, Canon did have a pretty good year in 2021, despite all of the setbacks that 
every camera manufacturer was facing as part of this pandemic. And last up from Canon Rumors for this week, there are currently three EOS R system cameras coming in the second half of 2022. Canon will continue to be aggressive with product launches throughout 2022. They don't appear to be slowing down due to the global semiconductor shortage. I think after all this time, Canon may have found some solutions to the problem internally and will continue to plan on shortages to continue through most of 2022. There are now three EOS R system cameras currently on the roadmap for the second half of this new year, and a very good source has finally chimed in on what we can expect. There will definitely be an APS-C RF mount camera announced during 2022. While specifications and all of that are obviously not known at this time, the source did mention that it is a true hybrid camera. Maybe a little M50 mixed with some of the 7D is how it was described. A new entry-level full-frame RF mount camera will also be announced. It will use the image sensor for the EOS R6, but nothing beyond that is currently known. Between the new entry-level camera and the Canon EOS R6 will be a body with a new image sensor but a lower pixel count than the EOS R5. The source also said that the EVF may be removed from at least one of these cameras, with the entry-level camera being the obvious guess. I wouldn't be surprised to see it removed from more cameras in the future as the younger shooters don't use them as often as us old folks. I was told not to give it to the CR3 level stamp yet. I'm not sure that has any meaning anymore. So stay tuned. There will be more to come as he receives it. So that's definitely interesting and exciting. I'm glad that Canon's going to finally announce an APS-C RF body. I hope to God they're not planning to make RFS glass. I think that would be a complete waste of time, money, and resources. Better to just stick with the RF full-frame lenses. They'll work on the RF APS-C body anyways, so there's no need to have multiple lines of lenses. I never understood why they did that with the EF and EFS line. It just seemed pointless to me, especially when there were plenty of EF mount lenses that were less expensive. You had the 18 to 55 kit lens, you had the 35 millimeter, I think it was F1.8. You had a 24 millimeter that was reasonably inexpensive, a non-L1. You just had a lot to choose from. Now, some of the ones they could have done away with were the 75 to 300. That lens was absolute garbage. They were better off just sticking with the 70 to 300 IS USM gold band lens. That lens was superb. Now, their 55 to 250 in the EFS mount was a good lens as well, but I don't understand why they couldn't have made that with an EF mount instead. And like I said, just avoided the whole EF and EFS thing anyways. I mean, it just never made any sense to me. Uh, you don't see a lot of the other manufacturers doing it. Nikon, uh, I'm not sure if Nikon offers APS-C lenses or not, as well as full frame. Um, you'll have to let me know if you know more about Nikon than I do. You'll have to leave a comment on the Facebook group or something like that. But anyways, that is it for Canon Rumors. And now we're going to head on over to Nikon Rumors and see what they have for us for this week. First up, Nikon D500 camera listed as discontinued or out of stock at major stores around the world. This APS-C camera is currently out of stock or back-ordered at Adorama and B&H Photo, limited quantity available on Amazon US. 
Now, the camera sells for $1,596.95. In Europe, the D500 is also out of stock at the major online stores such as Wexphoto, Park Cameras, Calumet DE, Calumet NL, Photo Earnhardt, and Photo Koch. In Canada, the D500 is listed as on order. Now, there is an update to this story. The Nikon D500 is also listed as discontinued at Nikon Asia. The Nikon D500 is listed as discontinued at several stores in Japan. The first screenshot is from Yodashiba camera. Uh, the D500 is also no longer offered in the Nikon DSLR catalog. Big Camera has also listed the Nikon D500 as discontinued. Uh, Map Camera lists the D500 as back-ordered. And the official Nikon Japan store is also no longer accepting orders for the D500. Now, the Nikon D500 was originally announced back in January of 2016. So it's had a pretty good run. I mean, a five-year run for that APS-C body is nothing to sneeze at. And I know it's been popular with a lot of Nikon shooters. Now, a while back, there were some rumors that there could be a new high-end Nikon Z APS-C mirrorless camera to replace the D500, but he has not heard anything definitive at this time. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see on that. Next up, the new Nissan MG60 Pro Flash for Nikon is now available at B&H. The previously rumored flash for Nikon is now officially announced and available for pre-order at B&H Photo. More information on the new flash can be found at the accompanying links in this article in the show notes. Nissan flashes are sold at Adorama, B&H Photo, and Amazon US. Nikon recently announced collaborations with Nissan and Pro Photo. So it is good to see that they're already kicking things into gear with this new Nissan MG60 flash. Uh, Pro-level flash, it looks like it'll probably end up being an extremely popular item. I know uh, good speed lights are something that do sell fairly consistently. You know, every photographer should have some speed lights or mono lights. I personally think you should have speed lights, you should have some mono lights, and you should also have continuous lighting. They all come in handy for different things. Now, the MG60 Pro is listed for $399.95, so it's not too bad. The MG80 Pro is $449, so you're saving a little bit of money there. It's about $50 cheaper, so I have a feeling they'll probably sell quite a few of these. I think it's going to be an extremely popular speed light, but again, we'll have to wait and see how things flesh out. Next up, the new Yongnu 50mm f1.8 mirrorless lens for Nikon Z mount is currently in the testing phase and will be released soon. A quick update on the previously rumored lens for the Nikon Z mount. The company confirmed that the new lens has already entered the testing stage and will be officially released soon. There's only one week left before the Chinese New Year. This is from a post on January 23rd, and today is still a new product release. Uh, the Z-mount lens will be you are looking for has entered the testing phase and will be officially announced with you and in your hands soon, according to the official Yongnu Twitter feed. Um, and that version, what well, that story was passed along by Weibo as well. So it looks like it won't be much longer, and you'll be able to pick that new lens up. Next up, Nikon Z9 firmware update version 1.11 released. 
Nikon has just released this new firmware for the Z9 mirrorless flagship body, fixed an issue that prevented the camera focusing on detected subjects during the uh, video recording with all of the following chosen in the video recording menu. Image area, choose image area DX, AF area mode, any of the wide area AF or S, wide area AFL or subject tracking AF and auto area AF. AF subject detection options were set to subject detection, any option other than subject detection off. Fixed typos in the names of some items in group uh, focus of the custom settings menu in some languages. Added support for the Nikkor Z 400mm f2.8 TCVRS lens from the C firmware version 1.10. The new firmware update can be downloaded from the official Nikon website. Now, for Nikon Z9 pre-orders in the U.S., you can pre-order this flagship at Adorama, B&H, Amazon, Paul's Photo, and Service Photo. In Europe, at Calumet NL, Calumet DE, Photo Earnhardt DE, Photo Koch DE, Wex UK, and in Canada at Camera Canada. So it looks like they got some minor issues corrected, uh, some that were functionality issues, which is a little bit more major, and some that were just simple typos in the menu in certain language packs so good to see that they're staying on top of these things nikon's z9 has been an exciting announcement for the camera company i think it's going to breathe some new life into nikon and hopefully keep them in the game for a much longer period of time. I was getting nervous about Nikon for a while. You know, I've talked about it before on the show many times. I never wished Nikon ill. Like I've said hundreds of times before, Canon and Nikon have been making cameras longer than most anybody else in the game, except for maybe Leica or Hasselblad. And, you know, they're two of the giants. You know, they've been around for over 100 years apiece. And I don't wish failure on any of these camera manufacturers. I was disappointed when Olympus announced they were no longer going to make cameras and they were bought out by the uh, Japan Industrial Partners uh, because it wasn't a good thing when JLP or JIP, I'm sorry, bought out the Sony Vio laptop line. If you remember that, that ended up being a disaster. I hope it's not the same for the Olympus cameras, but only time will tell. Next up, announced today, the Meyer Optic Gorlitz trial plan, 35mm f2.8 Mark II lens for the Nikon F and Z mounts. Some details on the lens, focal length and aperture, 35mm f2.8 to f22. Angle of view is 63 degrees, aperture blades 12, filter diameter is 52 millimeters. Minimum object distance, 0.2 meters. Length depends on the mount, 52 millimeters to 78 millimeters. Weight is 270 to 300 grams, housing, aluminum, black anodized, and like a rangefinder, no live view mandatory. Today, Mayor Optic Gorlitz Trial Plan released their new 35mm f2.8 Mark II lens for the Nikon F and Z mounts. You can pre-order these lenses at Adorama and B&H. So you can go over there and place your order with either of those companies. The lens sells for $8.99, which is not a bad price. There's the official press release, product page, and previous Mayer Optic Gorlitz lenses for Nikon, previous coverage. And you can find all of those links in this article in the show notes and check them out at your leisure. 
Last up for Nikon rumors for this week, new Nikon shutter count software version 3.0 released with Nikon Z9 support. This is free software. The new shutter count software was released. This version checks the info of all shutter counts, mechanical, electronic, and total, and adds support for the new Z9 flagship camera, in addition to all Nikon DSLR models. The download is available for free at the Nikon website. So grab it if you'd like to be able to check your shutter counts. I know uh, with a lot of cameras, it can be a pain in the butt to get accurate shutter counts. So it is truly great that Nikon offers their own software to do this. I don't understand why Canon doesn't do the same thing. Actually, all the manufacturers should do it because it is important information to know about a camera as far as, you know, how much service life your camera currently has left before you might have to send it in repair. And it's also something that everybody asks you when you're selling a used camera. So it's always a good thing to be able to check that. And what better way to do it than if the manufacturer would supply the software to the customers free of charge so they, they can always have that data. I think it's great that on Nikon's mirrorless bodies, it'll tell you your mechanical shutter count, your electronic shuttle count, and then your total shutter count for both. That is absolutely fantastic. All right, I'm going to take a short break right here, and then we'll head on over to Fuji Rumors. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now, back to the show. And we're back. So now we're going to head on over to Fuji Rumors and see what Patrick has for us for this week. First up, top 10 most important Fujifilm digital cameras of all time. So how can I start this article? Well, maybe like this. I was solo hiking through Eastern Europe in my bag, a tent, food, water, a few clothes, and my DSLR gear. One morning, I woke up very early at the top of the Poplux Mountains in Albania, left my tent, and enjoyed the sunrise all alone on the mountain peak. It should have been my last day on one of the best-kept secrets in Europe, the Albanian Alps. Next stop, 12 hours long hike all the way to Montene uh, Montenegro through lonely mountains and a valley of and valleys of rare beauty. I tell you this when I arrived at my destination, the town of Gushin uh, in Montenegro, I was exhausted. And I promised myself I needed to travel lighter. I needed lighter gear. So I went mirrorless. Panasonic, Olympus, Sony, you name it, I tried them all. But it became soon clear to me that I was not only looking for lighter gear, but also for gear that I had that I had fun using. And exactly in that moment of my photographic journey, 11 plus years ago, Fujifilm launched the Fujifilm X series. Then 10 years ago, the Fujifilm X Pro One was announced, introducing the X mount to the photography world. 
And that was it. This was exactly what I was looking for. The rest is history. I fell in love. I needed to share this love. I started Fuji Rumors. So I wondered, how can we sum up this long Fujifilm X journey, which is basically just as long as my personal journey with Fujifilm Best? Well, since Fujifilm is celebrating 10 years of X-Mount this year, I thought I could make a list of what I consider the top 10 cameras of this Fuji decade. But shall it be allowed to me? I will start with the X100, which I te is technically older than 10 years, but I think you'll agree it makes sense to add to this list. Attention, we are not only talking about the most successful cameras, but also about what I consider the most important ones beyond the success they had or not. First up is the Fujifilm X100, the original. That's the camera that started it all. And it gave us a clear indication on which way Fujifilm would go. Great looking cameras with manual controls and overall vintage feel. Second was the Fujifilm X-Pro1. This was Fujifilm's first mirrorless camera with interchangeable lenses. Iconic, beautiful, the start of the X-Mount. Fujifilm X-T1 was number three. If you ask me, my heart, I'd say X-E1 as I love the X-E series. But that line was never a huge seller. The real first big success for Fujifilm X-Mount was the Fujifilm X-T1. It was the first camera that was able to go a bit more mainstream compared to the X-Pro1 and the X-E1. Number four is the Fujifilm X-T10. The X-T10 was a huge hit and helped Fujifilm to break through mid-range market in a way the X-E line could not. A very successful series for Fujifilm started by the X-T10. Next was uh, number five, the Fujifilm X-H1. True, it was not a big success, but it set the base for a platform that will earn lots of success in the future. That's why I put it on the list. Guys, just wait to see what a beast the Fujifilm X-H2 will be, and you'll agree with me. Be patient, May isn't that far anymore. Six is the Fujifilm X-T3. A mega success for Fujifilm that not even the release of the X, Fujifilm X-T4 could top. According to my knowledge, Fujifilm's all-time bestseller. The Fujifilm X100V announced eight years after the original X100. It was a terrific success for Fujifilm and it brings a much-needed redesign of the lens as well as an invisible tilt screen. It's my biggest gas temptation along with these two more Fujifilm items and please don't trigger my gas further in the comments I have a marriage to take care of. <laughs> Number eight is the Fujifilm GFX 50S enter medium format. Fujifilm's first digital medium format camera with a sensor about 70% fuller than full frame. Now that we arrived at the Fujifilm GFX 100S, which is even smaller than some full-frame mirrorless cameras out there, we can say that the GFX 50S, hence skipping full-frame, was an incredibly smart move by Fujifilm. Nine is the Fujifilm GFX 100S. It has to be on the list, as it is such a terrific success for Fujifilm. Not even in their best dreams, they'd have hope for as many sales as the GFX 100S has generated. The only problem, Fujifilm has a hard time producing as many cameras as the market requests. Yes, even now, one year after its announcement. And please stop to say, uh, please stop saying nonsense like it should not have IBIS or stuff like that. This nonsense often comes from the same people praising OIS. So aren't both OIS and IBIS serving the very same purpose? 
And more importantly, can't you simply turn both off if you don't like them? The Fujifilm X Pro 3 is number 10, arguably the most controversial on the list, as this camera is designed for the niche and therefore was never planned to make massive sales. But here is the thing. While Fujifilm has indeed released the XS10 and the 100 GFX 100S with more mainstream-oriented ergonomics, the Fujifilm X-Pro3 shows that Fujifilm cares also about niche and does not run only after the mainstream. They still want to offer all sorts of different photographic experiences by changing the ergonomics among various camera lines. So don't panic, guys. Fujifilm ain't dropping retro at all. Whoever creates panic about this is just out for clickbait. The X-Pro3 is Fuji's statement for their continuing commitment to retro and vintage controls. So that is my list. Feel free to change and modify it as you want in the comments. So I do have to agree with Patrick here. Fuji has had a tremendous amount of success with both their X-Line and their GFX line, and it's going to continue for many, many, many more years to come, dare I say even decades to come. There's no doubt about it. Fujifilm has the all-around, hands-down, best APS-C cameras on the market, better than anybody else's. And now that they've locked up being the most successful medium format line as well with the GFX series, the future looks very bright for Fujifilm. Next up, Topaz Denoise AI version 3.5 improved raw color processing and performance. Topaz released this new software. You can save 15% using our checkout code FUJIRUMOR. Denoise AI version 3.5 at a glance improved color and tone processing for RAW and DNG files. When available, Denoise AI will apply a camera-specific color profile as well as provide improved overall color accuracy. Improved metadata support, Denoise AI now supports reading Canon CR3 and HEIC metadata. Performance and UI improvements, several bug fixes, and minor visual changes for a overall better user experience. So you can check that out for yourself and get that 15% off discount using the code FUJIRUMOR. Next up, Fujifilm X-Pro1 Retrospective, 10 years of Fujifilm X-Mount, the start of X-Trans, vintage fun, film simulations, and more. This month marks the 10th anniversary of the X-Mount system, so uh, DP Review TV takes a fresh look at the Fujifilm X-Pro1, the system's first camera to see how it holds up a decade later. Note we are talking X-Mount MILC cameras, not X-Series cameras in general. The X-Line started, of course, with the original Fujifilm X100. Gosh, what memories come to me after all this time. For example, when Jordan highlights how bad the video quality of the X-Pro1 is, true, but when Fujifilm removed an X-Pro1 firmware because of a bug on the video side of things, 99.99% of X-Shooters owning an X-Pro1 were like, what is this thing? What? This thing can shoot also video or all the glory and struggles related to Fujifilm's new X-Trans design. Lots of myths and fakes had to be debunked in this regard. 
Look, I was always honest to look at the advantages of Bayer versus X-Trans and vice versa. But at the end, I am very happy that the Fujifilm X-H2 will have an X-Trans sensor after all. At least one of the two, that is. And I am not alone, as the vast majority of you guys are happy about this as well. And yes, Kaizen, that's something the X-Pro1 got lots of, but on the contrary of what many think, still today, Fujifilm leads the pack when it comes to updating their cameras. I elaborated about it more in depth in a related article. But most importantly, the joy to use a Fujifilm camera is still the same also after 10 years. In fact, Chris seems to have loved to shoot with the X-Pro1 even more now as opposed to when it came out 10 years ago. So with all that said, here are DP Review TV's impressions after shooting the X-Pro1 again 10 years later. Little curiosity, I find it cool that Chris took all the pictures using the original XF Lens Trinity launched along with the X-Pro1. So here's the list. He enjoys using the optical viewfinder. The X-Pro1 has a hybrid viewfinder. Great vintage look. Aimed to work best with smaller primes. Great for street shooters. Compact camera with compact primes. The X-T1 opened the system to lots more people. The whole Fujifilm system grew from there. The X-Pro1 was the first camera using an X-Trans sensor. Thanks to X-Trans, Fujifilm could get rid of the aliasing filter, which would have removed some sharpness to the images. Now it has much it is much easier to edit X-Trans files. X-Trans avoided a lot of the problems with Moir from photos. But at that time, it was hard to work with the X-Trans files. Adobe struggled with X-Trans files, and 10 years later, people still complain about this. Fujifilm started its rep for great colors and JPEGs and great details. The X-Pro1 did not have many film simulations. In 10 years, we have gained so many more film simulations. The latest Fujifilm cameras have even more vintage film simulations like nostalgic negative and classic chrome, etc. Chris is impressed, but how accurate the optical overlay is is still with, is still with the frame lines compensating for parallax. Not great AF controls, best solution, single AF with focus and recompose. It's pretty snappy used this way. Terrible camera for video. It's incredible that just 10 years ago, Fuji was so bad in video, but now for Jordan, Fujifilm cameras are among his favorite cameras to shoot video with. Chris had a lot of fun shooting the X-Pro1 again. Even if it is 10 years old, it still felt quite current in a lot of ways. The X-Pro1 got tons of Kaizen firmware updates. Maybe Fujifilm does not do Kaizen so much anymore. I disagree, and I elaborated why in an accompanying article. Fujifilm has come a long way and now dominates the APS-C and medium format market. Fujifilm still holds on to that vintage feel and heritage built up 10 years ago. Chris didn't appreciate the X-Pro1 when it came out, but for some reason he now enjoys shooting it again. X-Trans files of the X-Pro1 still have very interesting character. So you can watch their YouTube videos on this as well. You can watch the original X-Pro1 hands-on field test with sample images, as well as their updated video, the 10-year anniversary of the X-Mount. Next up, up to 60% off on Luminar Neo and Luminar AI bundles. 
Skylum launched new offers on Luminar AI and the future Luminar Neo bundles. You save additional $10 using our checkout code FUJI. The offer ends on January 31st, 2022, which is tomorrow. Make sure you jump on it while you have the chance. Luminar Neo offer one seat and a free pack, 30% discount, $69. Neo and Luminar AI, one free pack, 45% discount, $98. Luminar Neo and AI plus Aurora HDR and one free pack, 61% discount at $108. For two seats, you pay $89, uh, $128, and $138 for the same pack. It's just with an additional seat. Now, Luminar AI offer one seat Luminar AI plus one free pack, 52% discount at $47. AI plus Aurora plus one free pack, 66% discount at $67. And the Luminar Neo, Luminar AI, and Aurora HDR plus one free pack, 61% discount at $108. And two seats are $59.79 and $138 for all of the same items so you can check that out if you head on over to Skylum Software's website. Next up, Pujadon XF23mm F1.4 RLMWR to be released on February 24th. The new lens was announced back in September and originally scheduled to ship November of 2021. However, it was delayed, of course, because of the ongoing issues and supply chains. You can order the lens at B&H Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Focus Camera, and Moment. However, in October, Fuji announced the shipping postponement due to delay in parts procurement, like I mentioned a moment ago. Now, Fujifilm has disclosed the final and official release date, which is February 24th. B&H Photo and Company already marked the lens as shipping on February 24th back in October, just a few days after the shipping delay notice from Fujifilm. So the date U.S. stores anticipated is now officially confirmed by Fujifilm. Uh, let's see, you can get that lens, like I said, at those retailers, the LH-XF23-2 lens hood for this lens at B&H Photo, Amazon US, and Adorama. The XF33mm F1.4 RLMWR, you can order at B&H Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Focus Camera, and Moment. And the Legends, the XF23 F1.4 R at all of the same four retailers, and the same for the XF35mm F1.4 are. So it looks like you won't have to wait too much longer to get that lens and lens hood combination. Next up, Fujifilm's secret development story talking Fujinon glass and why OIS switch was removed on some lenses. Fujifilm published a new episode of their secret development story. This time they talk about Fujinon lenses, more precisely about AF motors, lens perfection versus lens character, and also about optical image stabilization. They also explain why they removed the OIS switch on some lenses and that the notion that you should always turn it off when shooting on a tripod is no longer accurate. There is something we already said in the past, but Fujifilm goes a bit more in depth about it today. However, this is all automatically Google translated by YouTube. So while I did my best to try to get it summarized for you guys, with my son trying to climb on me while I was reading and typing. If any FR reader has some skills in Japanese and would like to sum it up better for us, feel free to do so and share your recap in the comments down below or via email at fujirumor at gmail.com. 
Red badge lenses, great image quality and fast autofocus, also weather resistant. Red badge lenses represent Fujifilm's highest technical level, flagship lenses. First red badge lenses were Fuji's constant F2 zooms. Then came the XF200 millimeter F2, an extraordinarily amazing lens. Uh, the XF50 F1.0 emphasis is on smooth bokeh rather than one ultimate resolution. Then on ultimate resolution, my apologies. The new 18mm F1.4, 23 1.4, and 33 1.4 focus on resolution. Fujifilm tries to give lenses a different character based on their purpose of use. And as Sigma CEO said, making a perfect lens is way easier than making a lens with character which is why I love my good old XF35 1.4R. Then Fujifilm explains what the various markings on the lens mean. Uh, R for aperture ring, LM for linear motor, OIS for optical image stabilization, WR for weather resistant. Autofocus speed is getting faster and faster. There are also other AF motors like stepping motors, DC motors, etc. Fuji Guy Billy elaborated on them all very nicely in an accompanying link. You have to place the AF motor in a way that it won't create shake in the lens. Uh, linear motor is the smoothest and fastest AF motor option, and of course, it has its downsides too, as Fuji Guy Billy explains. Some Fujinon lenses have lost the OIS switch, for example, the XF70-300 F4-5.6 and the XF16-80 F4. Usually is recommended to switch off OIS when shooting on a tripod, but on some lenses, Fujifilm now recommends to keep OIS turned on even when shooting on a tripod. But honestly, the time when it's better to keep OIS on or off when shooting on a tripod is not so easy to determine and it's actually quite complicated. Fujifilm has developed a system where the camera will decide if it is better to keep optical image stabilization on or off. Please let the camera decide on how to deal with OIS. Fujifilm did remove the physical OIS switch on lenses to make sure it is the camera to take the, takes the decisions away. You can always turn it off in the menu if you want to have control over it yourself. And of course, you can watch the video on YouTube if you want to check it out. And last up for Fuji rumors this week, one year later, Fujifilm GFX 100S in stock, but only two left. On the 26th of January, 2021, my son was born. On the 27th, the Fujifilm uh, GFX 100S was announced. Fast forward to the 29th of January, 2022, and you can find uh, the staggering number of two Fujifilm GFX 100Ss in stock at moment. One year later, the GFX 100S is still rare a rare good on the market. You can pre-order one at B&H Photo, Amazon US, Adorama, Focus Camera, and Moment. I say pre-order because you'll have to order it and then more than likely wait to actually get it because they're having a hard time keeping up with the demand as was mentioned earlier in this episode of the show. And now we're gonna head on over to Sony Alpha Rumors and see what they have for us this week. 
First up, Cosina and Voigtlander say they will announce new lenses at the CP Plus show. On the official CP Plus page, you can see uh, Cosina's message teasing the launch of new lenses. The, fir- the last E-mount lens announced by Cosina was the Lanthar 35mm f2 launched back in the spring of 2021. Uh, let's see, Voigtlander APO Lanthar 35mm spherical lens for Sony E-mount is $1,149, and you can pre-order. Uh, let's see, that. okay, that was the one that came out in uh, spring of 2021, so that's an older image, but I did share it with you nonetheless. Next up, new Leica M11 has same Sony A7R4 dynamic range performance and uses a similar sensor. Photo to Photons has analyzed the new Leica M11 performance, and it's curiously about the same as the Sony a7R4. This raises the question if the Leica uses the same or a slightly tweaked version of the Sony a7R4 sensor. The Leica M11 versus the Sony a7R4 spec comparisons chart you can see at an accompanying link in this article. Next up, Sam Yang says the new 135mm f1.8 FE lens is coming soon. On Instagram, Sam Yang teased the launch of a new lens. Of course, this is the 135mm f1.8 FE that they themselves showed a couple of weeks ago. Our source, M, sent us specs of the soon-to-be-announced lens. 13 elements in 11 groups, shortest shooting distance, 0.69 meters, filter thread is 82 millimeters, size 93.4 by 129.6 millimeters, and a weight of 772 grams. So it looks like that lens will be coming before too long, and we do have some other articles about that lens this week. Next up, leaked images of the new Samyang 135mm lens announcement within a few hours. This is from January 26th, and there are some beautiful images of this lens. It looks absolutely fantastic. It is a gorgeous lens, great design. Samyang has really been knocking it out of the park the last few years. I've been very happy with their lenses that I have bought for my Canon RF bodies. Next up, not so accurate in quotes, Weibo A93 and A7R5 rumors spreading on the web. Camera beta, post, camera beta posted this rumor, quote, the Sony A93 may be released in the fourth quarter. There are new rumors the Sony A93 is expected to be officially released in the fourth quarter of 2022. The new camera still uses a 24 million pixel sensor with a new menu equipped with a Tiltable angle screen supports 4K video shooting at 60 frames per second is expected to cost $5,000. At some point, there is very little information about the A7R5 at the same time, excuse me, but it is expected that the new machine could be released in the fourth quarter as well. As far as I heard, the timing of the A7R5 release isn't true, which leads me to believe that this rumor might be not correct at all, because it will be announced long before the A93. But I see all other rumor sites posted it without questioning, so I figured I'd have to share my two cents as well. Next up, from January 27th, officially announced new Samyang 135mm lens. Sam Yang officially announced the new lens, uh, specs and image samples at an accompanying link. You can pre-order it now at B&H Photo, Adorama, and in Europe at Calumet DE, Photocotch DE, and at Wex UK. 
And like I said before, it is an absolutely gorgeous lens. And there's also some accompanying YouTube videos that you can check out for yourself from Samyang. I'm not going to really uh, read their entire press release because it's just really, really long. Next up, European pre-orders for the new Samyang 135mm have opened at Calumet DE, Photocotch DE, and Wex UK, as I mentioned a moment ago, and U.S. readers can pre-order at B&H Photo. Uh, this, uh, again, is a beautiful lens, and I have a feeling it's going to be really popular with a lot of shooters. 135mm is a great portrait lens, lens length, and the lens is selling for $999, so not bad at all. Reasonably inexpensive 135 millimeter portrait lens. So I have a feeling it's going to sell a lot depending on whether or not they can maintain supply as far as in relationship to demand with the current chip shortages. Next up, Sony FX6 firmware released. Uh, let's see, you can download the new firmware at Sony's website, Benefits and Improvements. Add the AI-based real-time tracking AF, and if the touch function is set to tracking AF, you can use real-time tracking to track the subject, even during manual focus. Add the breathing compensation for consistent angle of view when focusing. Note lenses that support the breathing compensation feature, that is. You can find that in an accompanying link. Uh, add the 16-bit raw output via HDMI and the bokeh adjustment mode for easy adjustment while minimizing exposure changes. Add new features that support high dynamic range and standard dynamic range, dual production for SR Live. SDR evaluate a preview display on EVF, SDR gain metadata, reco gain metadata recording. Add the picture cache recording function, which also supported when shooting with S and Q motion. Displays the four-channel audio level meter on the on-screen display. Adds other useful features as well. And there are a couple of accompanying videos in relationship to that. If you want to order one of these cameras, you can do so at B&H Photo. You can pre-order it. It'll be coming soon for $5,998 US. So not an inexpensive camera by any stretch of the imagination. Next up, Sony, Sigma, and Zeiss statements about the global chip shortage. Amateur photographer asked company managers what their situation regarding the worldwide chip shortage. Sony said, quote, for camera products, there is currently a delay in parts procurement, partly caused by the global shortage of semiconductors, which is affecting production of certain products. Zeiss said, quote, of course, we at Zeiss are also affected by the shortage of semiconductors and price increases for components in the photo sector. However, we benefit from a manageable amount of semiconductor components and lenses, our long-standing and reliable supplier relationships, and our long-term planning. Sigma said, quote, since last year, the supply of not only semiconductors, but also materials and components has been tightened due to the shutdown of factories and disruption of logistics caused by the COVID-19 lockdown in cities around the world, which is a problem common to all industries, not just cameras and interchangeable lenses. As for Sigma, despite the problems mentioned above, close cooperation with suppliers and our own efforts have resulted in no major impact on production, and we have been operating smoothly so far. However, the outlook for the supply of materials and parts has become increasingly uncertain since the beginning of 2022, and there is a possibility that our production will be affected in the future. Sigma will do its utmost to fulfill its supply responsibilities in order to avoid causing inconvenience to our customers. So there you have the take from those three companies.
Next up, three months after announcing the A74 body only is finally in stock at B&H Photo. It took a long time, but the new a Sony, uh, Sony A74 body only option is finally available in stock at B&H Photo. Let's hope this is a good sign that Sony somehow has managed to limit the sensor supply issues because we are ready to get the new A7R5 and A93. You can order this camera or buy this camera for $2,498 at B&H Photo. And last up for Sony Alpha rumors for this week, the new Mare Optic Gorlitz Trial Plan 35mm f2.8 Mark II lens for the Sony E-mount. Now, you remember I covered this in Fuji rumors. The lens is also available in the FE mount for Sony cameras for $899, and you can pre-order it now. The lens is, uh, let's see, you can also see some sample images of the mayoropticsgorelitz.com slash en slash lenses slash trial plan dash 35 dash f2 dot 8 dash 2 or lowercase i's depending on how you want to look at it. All right, that's going to wrap up all the news and rumors for this week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 220 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcasts. I also wanted to ask you to stop by and check out the Liam Photography YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media. Hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new videos drop. And I will see you all again on Thursday with a new episode.